from Eden by Fry, Volume 9, Encounters, Entreatment. I see my science communicator friend next at a party I drag him along to, where we have a long and involved conversation and where I introduce him to the hosts and to some other people. It is so easy to talk to him and so comfortable, and he's so easy and comfortable with talking to other people while I'm distracted talking to other people still, that I begin to formulate in my mind a fantasy that features him and me together. This, I think, is what I would want in a boyfriend, somebody I could be so comfortable so perfectly at ease with, who could hold his own, but when he didn't need to, would find me interesting enough to converse with me, and who would be interesting enough in his own right to be conversed with, and who had enough going on in his life and thoughts to think and friendships to maintain to be effectively self-sufficient most of the time, while affectionate and appreciative enough to enjoy some time with me. Sometimes. In retrospect, this fantasy grows stronger, not weaker. For a good long while, I forget about it, not least because Christmas comes around and I go to Switzerland while he has his brother staying over from Greece. Then we see each other once more or twice briefly and then not again because he's off to Greece himself. This may or may not have been Easter. By the time he comes back, he has brought me a tea that he has made himself. It's a jar of leaves, and it's my favourite infusion straight away, not just because it's from him, but because it has sage in it, and I love sage. It has one or two other ingredients, maybe three, but I don't now remember what they were. I am touched that he thought of me while away, not least because we're not actually together in any way, we don't even really have sex. One of the first things he'd said, after a bit of what could easily have turned into sex, was, let's not get on to sex, it just ruins everything. And that was all right with me. I found it interesting, but also perhaps true. Although sex does not, in my experience, have to ruin everything, it certainly can be or become a complicating factor, and several people I'm still excellent friends with I don't think I would still be excellent friends with if we were still having sex, even though I personally tend to think of sex as not much more than a particularly emphatic way of saying hello. I accept that this perception is perhaps not strictly conventional and I allow for the possibility that I might change it quite drastically too if I were to actually find myself in a relationship. We then don't see each other again for a while, this time because I'm away from London for two months while my flat is being renovated and he's traipsing around Europe, I believe. By the time we're both back in London, he is enrolled for his MA, whilst I'm not, because I'd failed to sufficiently toe the line or impress the course convener at King's College London, or both. I am not unhappy about this, although I am, of course, a bit peeved. But I've since been told by my philosopher friend that this is not in the least bit surprising since what interests me in philosophy does not apparently interest philosophical academia, 
In fact, they resent it, she tells me. I feel reassured by this. The branch of philosophy that interests me does not yet really exist as a field of academic study. And although I made that clear in my submission to King's, I don't so much like the idea of submitting my work or my thinking to start with. I would consider it more a putting it forward or out there. They still did not think that either they could offer me anything or I them. This jarred with me just a tad, absolutely, not least because I believe that a university course should be open to anyone who wants to take it and fulfil some standard agreed upon entry requirements, not to a hand-picked group who already fit an existing institutional mould, but it did not really, in all seriousness, irk me. It would be frivolous to suggest that I had applied for an MA at King's on a whim, but it's also fair to say that I hadn't thought through the implications of studying philosophy at master's level thoroughly. When I told a good friend from my school days in Switzerland about all this, he looked at me and said, without hesitation, academia is not for you. You're much better off out of it. I reluctantly concurred and told him I didn't want to do an MA in philosophy to go into academia, but to gain a better grounded understanding of where philosophy stands today. He counselled other avenues to obtain this. I heed his counsel, at least for the time being. The fact that my Greek science communicator friend is now doing his MA is neither good news nor bad news as far as I'm concerned. It just means he's now back in London. And so am I. I am reminded of him partly because he gets back in touch and proposes a catch-up, and partly because of the book I am reading in the bath at the moment, which my first ex and still very good friend has given to me, Becoming a Londoner, a Diary. It's written in an easy-going, relaxed, near-conversational prose by a man who had come to London from the United States in his 20s during the early 1960s and quickly started a live-in relationship with a sophisticated Greek man of a similar age whom he nevertheless appeared to rather revere, if nothing else, intellectually. The diary is rich in anecdotes about the London literary and art world of the day and although I came to London nearly 20 years later, much of what he writes about and much of the way he writes about it resonates with me strongly. Also, he visits places that I have been to in some cases frequently, such as Lucca or Paris. But most enjoyable for me are the insights into the lives of people like Francis Bacon and, most particularly, Stephen Spender, with whom both he and his Greek partner had a close friendship. Each time I read in this book, I'm a little reminded of my Greek science communicator friend and of my fantasy of being together with him, which I know full well is all it ever was and ever will be, which is partly what makes it so enjoyable, so safe. Today, I was hoping to see him for an event at Lights of Soho, which I've recently become a member of. I'd suggested to him that we go there, and he'd said in his usual non-committal way that this sounds interesting, but already flagged up the fact that he normally had a seminar at college on a Tuesday and didn't know when this would end. I'd parked the idea, more or less assuming he wouldn't come out with me Tuesday, and indeed, when I sent him a message early today, he declined, saying he couldn't get away. I was a little deflated, but also quite relieved, 
since by then I had decided that unless he were to come along, I myself wouldn't go either, and had started to hope, almost, that my assumption would prove correct and he wouldn't come out, so I didn't have to go. Instead, I had a bath and read in my book, which reminded me of him, and then sat down in my white toweling dressing gown, which I hardly ever wear, and when I do, then only ever after I've had a bath, and poured myself a glass of white wine and put on an old vinyl record with Jugend Bochum conducting Mozart, and realised that I am very content, almost happy. I discover a message from him in response to mine saying not to worry as I was getting too comfortable on my sofa and might not go out myself, in which he says, yeah, you should be one with the sofa. And I agree, I am fairly much one with the sofa right now. The funniest line so far that I've read in David Plant's book is about Alden staying with the Spenders. Quote, Stephen said that once when Alden was staying at Loudon Road, Natasha rang him up to say she would be late and would he put the chicken in the oven? Alden did. He simply put it in the oven, didn't put it in a pan, didn't put the heat on, unquote. I so relate to all.